Good evening and welcome to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You're here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. And tonight we will be chatting with Max Hawthorne, who is a paleo fiction author and cryptid researcher, water cryptids to be specific. But before we get into it, I would like to ask that you show the NCBR team some love by hitting that thumbs up on whatever platform you're using to listen. And don't forget to subscribe and ring that notification bell so that you don't miss the updates on new shows and content. Also, you guys can go to nightcolorsproductions.com to see everything I'm working on and for different ways to enjoy the content that I put out every week. Um, I have a lot of great things coming to you guys that you really don't want to miss. And so now I'm going to go ahead and get into this interview with Max Hawthorne. And uh, so how are you doing tonight, Max? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for coming on. Um, so I... I already warned my moderator team. I said, hey, you guys, just be warned. I'm going to geek out on this guest tonight because I'm reading his book. And I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, I'm honored to be here. So thank you. Yes. Okay. So you are a paleo fiction author. You're the prince of paleo fiction. Um, I'm guessing you did not come up with that title for yourself. I'm, assuming, I'm hoping. <laughs> no, there's this, uh, I'm not going to get going the names and stuff, but there was this back in 2014 when Cronus Rising first came out, a passionate fan, um, ex-military guy, who actually um, is the person who coined the, the term paleo art in terms of yeah. paintings, et cetera, about prehistoric life. And he started going around calling me, you're the prince of paleo fiction and all this other <laughs> stuff. And, you know, and it, you know, it started to catch on a little bit and I took a liking to it. And then like in 2016, I was in Fangoria magazine and they put it in there. So after that, I just kind of went with it. Yeah, no, it, it works for you. Um, I, 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 um, I think you're a very talented writer. So like I was saying before the show, I listened to an interview that you did with someone else um, and they focused more on the writer piece of it rather than the cryptid piece or any of that. They just focused on how you came about to you know do all of this. And um, in the interview, you just said that you just whipped these books out in like five or six months. Yeah, lately that's what I've been doing. I'm actually in the middle of a novel right now and um, it's not going to be a huge novel. I would say 350 pages or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's taking me about four months to do, I guess. So. And I know your your 550 page books take you about six months. And that's and these do not read like quickly written books at all. These, I mean, these are fleshed out. They have continuity. They're very well written books. Thank you. Yeah. I I. I, I when I say 2,000 words a day, and uh, sometimes it's not easy to do 2,000 words a day. Sometimes you do 3,000, believe it or yeah. not. There was a meme out there like uh, from, with the thing from the Lord of the Rings where it says, I was there, Gandalf, you know, 3,000 years ago, whatever. And somebody mm -hmm. had something that said, I was there the day Maxwell wrote 3,000 words, you know. But 3,000 words edited, you know, really polished is, is yeah. a lot, you know. I mean, yeah. I put a lot of research into my my stories and – Yes. You know, I try to be very descriptive and visceral and bring you there. Right. So. Oh, it, it works. So before this, uh, before we went live, I already told you, um, I actually sent you an email earlier today explaining that um, 
I had to cut back on my coffee intake while reading your book. I was on the edge of my seat. I couldn't, I started the books yesterday morning and I'm already almost done with it because I can't put it down. And it's just so intense. Oh my gosh. Like at one point last night, my son was sleeping on my lap and he twitched in his sleep. I about jumped off the couch because I I, I was so I was just like so tense and just, you know, oh my gosh, it's such a good book. And um, so what I, how I've been describing it to people is that it's like Lake Placid is one of my all-time favorite movies. And it's like Lake, Pl- Lake Placid meets Jaws meets Jurassic Park meets Moby Dick. So it's like all the best features of all of those things in one book. It is so great. Um, I've seen all four of those movies, so there, <laughs> there must be a, there must be something to that. Also, an into the blue, you know, theme um, because it's modern day and something big is coming to get you. I'm just saying, throwing that out there. But um, by so the way, I've this really, is my daughter's mug. So if she finds out I'm using this, there will be hell to pay. But there's there's a really good chance she will, since this yeah. will go, vir- you know, viral. Yeah. Um, we watched that movie earlier today, actually, the first two. So that's really weird that you are drinking out of that mug. Um, okay, hold on. Okay. So, okay, so I'm reading the book. And the whole time, I'm thinking about it from a reader standpoint. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, but also, there's the researcher in me. And I'm just noticing that there's so many things that... Like the, um, I did not know that the sperm well, for instance, sends out kind of a sonar frequency that um, dis- like disables its prey. I didn't know that. And so just, first of all, that goes along with Bigfoot in a way because of infrasound. But to me, it's just amazing how much research went into these books. And I, I read your bio and I know that you know, you are a cryptid researcher. You're a an, a world record holding angler, um, but the level of research that went into this, you know, it's above and beyond all of that. It, it was no small feat. I um, I had to learn so much stuff. I mean, there's submarines in there, submersibles. Yes. So I had to learn about submarines. Um, I had to learn about meteors because I had to, there's, I don't know if you've got to the part where the uh, Cretaceous flashback scenes are. Not yet. No. Oh. Well, it no won't be. Alert. Huge, okay. <laughs> I had to, never mind. Um, it wouldn't be a Go spoiler, ahead. but okay. I had to learn about meteors, asteroids, impacts. I, I, I obviously I knew a lot about animals, prehistoric life, mm-hmm. marine life. And I knew a lot about boats because I'm a fisherman. Um, as a hobby, I mean, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, but there was a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it you know, you, ha- you have to, you have to, you have to do what's achieving, they call achieving a suspension of disbelief. You want the mm-hmm. reader to feel like they're there, that they, they're living it and you can't do anything like you don't want to do anything that's illogical. Right. So that in terms of behavior, like people be like, oh, he would never do that. She would, yeah. you know, and then they throw the yeah. book you know in my case i had somebody get two people they were talking about a few weeks ago on one of the facebook groups and uh they were upset because in the not the latest novel but before that a major character their favorite character was killed and in quite dramatic fashion yes and they were very upset and the one guy goes i was so mad at max 
He goes, I, I had tears in my eyes and I threw the book across the room and couldn't pick it up for three months. Oh. And the other guy goes, right, I was crying too. And I'm like, these are grown men. Yeah. Saying how they're crying on, I, I must be doing something right if, if you oh, know, definitely. to invoke yeah. that type of emotion, you know? So it's very flattering. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I love, besides that it's a very well-written and well-researched book, um, there's so much to learn from it that I was telling you before the show, um, I have two little boys. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very well-versed on dinosaurs. Very well-versed. As you um, should be. As I should be. Uh, I, I listed off for you the various dinosaur movies and shows that I know all the theme songs to and whatever. But water dinosaurs, I'm not as well-versed. And so um, in this book specifically, there is a creature that is wreaking havoc in the ocean around this place. And it's a version of a plesiosaur which how I described it to my child was a crocodile with fins rather than um, legs, but like 20 times the size of a regular crocodile. They were huge animals. I mean, uh, the the fossil record, like the the creature in the book is a type of plesiosaur called a pliosaur. Mm -hmm. And pliosaurs, there's two basic plesiosaur body types. They're all plesiosaurs per se, but you have the long neck ones like I, I mentioned that are sort of like people picture the Loch Ness Monster, your Elasmosaur, your Plesiosaurus, they have long necks, small heads, they eat fish, they're piscivores. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they have the same body in terms of the flippers, et cetera, four flippers, same swimming technique, but that's their shtick. And those are called Plesiosaur morphs. The Pliosaur morphs are like the apex predators of the seas. Uh, they had a very large head, sort of like a crocodile's, except larger temporal finestras so the Jaw muscles are very powerful. Mm-hmm. And short necks, the huge bodies, large, powerful flippers to chase down prey, and a short, I don't want to say stubby tail, but a short tail, not long right. like a crocodile or a mosasaur or something like that. But, um, and I, 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 I have a couple of fossils here that I'll show you real quick on this topic. These are <laughs> both you. centrums, centra. That's uh, like a bone from the spinal column. Um, but they're missing the processes. So these are the, the disc portion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now this small one here is from a small species of pliosaur. They, they really haven't said which one. I suspect it's a stratosaurus, but we'll see. And if you look at it, this is a, it would have your processes coming up here. So this is a dorsal one and then ribs coming out from here. But this animal was probably about 16 feet long, the size of a medium-sized female orca. Okay. Right. And if you look closely, I don't know if you can see this or not, you see where those arrows are? Those yes. are tooth punctures. So this creature was killed and taken apart and eaten by something else, something bigger. Right. Okay. And that would probably be more something like this. Oh my gosh. Uh, now this is the centrum. This is over eight inches across from a good sized pliosaur. This animal would be at least 40 feet long, the size of a bus and probably weigh about 40 tons. Uh, it's also missing. It would have things coming up here and out here yeah. and here, et cetera. But so you can see they got, and they get bigger than that. But uh, so yeah, pliosaurs were, uh, were no joke and we're lucky they don't exist anymore because I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have the self-control that killer whales do when it came to boats and things like that, right. as we yeah. know in the book. As we know in the book, which yeah. I'll refer to the book a few more times because I'm geeking out a little bit over it. Um, but I, I mean, 
So in the book, one of my favorite things about the book is that it switches back and forth from the animal's perspective to the human's perspective. And so that really tied the book together. So you could see like um, it was a great way to bring about the creature's um, characteristics and personality, but it's characteristics like um, the creature could... Um, just do various things and it kind of so it, it was a great way to describe the creature and what it could do and how it thought about predators and so the creature honest to god thought it was the biggest predator in the entire sea which it was used to being um, until it met i think a sperm whale or there was some kind of animal that it or creature that it met and it was it was kind of nervous at first and then it took it out the blue whale the blue whale and she was pregnant yes um yeah. horrible horrible scene it was well there's a lot of horrible scenes in that one but um yeah but they're yeah. very very good they're very well written and it but it shows this thing it has an insatiable appetite it um feeds even when it's not hungry it feeds just because it's vicious and if it feels challenged it feeds all of that stuff so um it kind of the, the the reason I'm bringing all this up is in your research, did you find that any scientific evidence to support that that's how it was in real life, that it was just a vicious predator? Well, if you look at Nile crocodiles, for example, they're, they're pretty unpleasant animals. You've probably seen those videos of like wildebeests and zebra trying mm -hmm. to cross a river and they just ripping things to pieces and gorging themselves on carcasses, etc. Um, the thing is what I do with the, um, with the species of pliosaur is you have to take into account first the animal itself and then you have to take into account 65 and a half million years of evolution since the cretaceous period um i for example equipped my pliosaurs with sonar mm -hmm. and we don't know that they had echolocation like toothed whales do but right. we do know for example that we've discovered bones of theirs that have the same scarring the bends it's called the mm -hmm. decompression sickness that sperm whales get when they ascend too quickly so okay. that strongly suggests that pliosaurs somehow had the ability to navigate into the uh, into the abyss in the right. dark moving around etc which suggests the possibility they for example had sonar but in mm -hmm. terms of the appetite for the animal etc i have these creatures imprisoned in a caldera like a mm -hmm. giant fishbowl, if you want to call it, for that entire time period. Okay. And their population ranges, which I think is explained in the, in the novelette Diablo, but mm -hmm. without getting into spoilers. So, but they're in there for that <laughs> period of time in a giant eight-mile-wide fish tank, we'll call it, okay? Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of prey, but there's also a lot of competition between them, which means that over evolution would of course imply that the strongest animals that were the most vicious that healed the fastest would be the ones that would pass on their genes for the species right. even developing a rudimentary intelligence of sort mm -hmm. so that's why i felt like if they had like a an elevated metabolism if they had, were wounded and they would heal not like wolverine in the comic books right but where a serious wound might heal in a day or two instead of taking weeks, let's right. say. So that elevated metabolism would require the animal to feed more often. So yes. one equates the other. So, yes. okay. But it does, there is a scene in there in the book where it's gorged and it's just lying on the surface like, oh my God, I can't believe I ate all that. It, you know, yeah. that type of stuff. So, you know, it we're does. not. And then, yeah. yes, he, uh, 
he ends up eating something else that yeah that one i honestly thought that character was going to get away because usually the characters you don't like always end up getting away but he was eaten pretty quickly and i was kind of grateful he was a brat i didn't like him so Is, was that brad that was brad yeah yeah brad was a Douche. Me. He was just a jerk. <laughs> and I love that his hand with his like diamond encrusted Rolex was still there. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there had to be a reason. I need plausible deniability for why, you know, the jet ski was still running. Yes. And yeah. if the safety lanyard and the hand comes off. That so, makes sense. So, yeah. Hence the uh, sundered forearm. and Gotcha. Plus, it's a scary thing to see. Yes. No. It, yeah, it was. It was traumatizing, I'm sure, and I love how the dad just kind of didn't even really care, which speaks to his personality. Okay, um, so I wasn't going to get into that. So basically, the premise of the book is that there's a um, volcano, and like you said, a fishbowl, and then something like the volcano erupts, and there's an earthquake. Anyway, this creature escapes, this uh, creature that has never hasn't been seen you know, and it's not of this era and it just terrorizes the ocean depth. Um, So how likely do you think it is that there are actually creatures like that still living today that might be the reason for some water cryptid sightings? Not this one, for instance, but the other kind of plesiosaur with the long neck like Nessie. Um, Well, there are, there have been some sightings. Uh, the one that I would think was most credible, gosh, I don't remember the details, but um, it was the, the what's that uh, submarine that Cousteau's people use? The um, I don't remember the name of it. I wish I had thought of this ahead of time. But there was <laughs> one expedition where a submersible was 5,000 feet down. Mm-hmm. And I think the captain's name was McKinnis or something like that. And they saw what they thought was um, like a telephone cable on the bottom of the sea there and then mm-hmm. it moved and they realized it was the neck and it turned out to be like a 35 foot easy sort type animal that they were looking at and watching and through the portholes etc and then it, it moved away from them and they kept seeing it in the distance but they tried to get closer to take pictures and it just wandered off but their description drawing is exactly that of a plesiosaur i would think that mosasaurs like the monster in jurassic world but not that big okay right are likely to still be around because I've researched scores of, of sightings, many around New Zealand and such. Mm-hmm. But uh, the most recent one that I'm aware of is a guy that I interviewed from the UK. And uh, he was working on, it's actually in my the new book I, I have coming out called Monsters Marine Mysteries. Um, and Paul, his name is Paul George. He was working on the Carnival Breeze it's an mm-hmm. ocean liner, which right. I tracked down in Florida and got photos of, et cetera. But okay. um, and this was back in like 2014, I think, uh, not that long ago. And they were in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, he was on the top deck. He was like a fitness instructor board. And a couple of passengers called him over and they asked him, what kind of animal is that? And he looks down and swimming like uh, 100 or 200 feet next to the ship is this gigantic thing and he had seen whales he had seen whale sharks sharks all sorts of stuff you know in his time on the cruise line and other ships and this was none of those he said it was immense and he was able to compare it to um 
for, to scale to their lifeboats that they have that they regularly put in the water next to the boat that yeah. he was familiar with and which you know were visible down there and he only saw this thing's head neck and shoulders and like maybe part of its upper back and he said that part alone was 50 feet long so it was very very large and he didn't see what was propelling it but he said it had a huge like crocodile like head more like an alligator a thick neck enormous traps as he put it which may have been pectoral fins mm -hmm. out to the sides that it you know was like angling there but it was just cruising along at the surface it came up for air uh he described how the water turned white as it exhaled which and i thought was it, interesting because yeah. it didn't blow like a whale you know there wasn't right. that violent whoosh or anything like right. that and if you look at how crocodiles and turtles chelonians etc breathe when they come up they just disperse bubbles which is stealthier but that's what explains he said the water right. turned white all around its head yeah so it was obviously taking in air and it cruised next to them for about 30 seconds and then it veered off and it took you know went on its way but he said it looked like a submarine it was so big like when its back broke the water the water how it streams over a submarine yeah. slick looking smooth skin blackish with maybe a little gray on it and stuff um he was astounded astounded i did two interviews with him oh my gosh yeah i'm very so, jealous he had a photo of it <clears throat> really actually. yeah and with his cell phone as it was leaving and then at the next port it, something happened in a bar he was at and his phone was gone and yeah so never fails yeah. never fails but i i put out there if anybody else any of the other passengers took a right. photo of this and you know, by all means you know, reach out to me because yeah. i mean if from the description it sounds like an enormous like a hundred foot mosasaur which there have been like who woman described like a, a whale eater that was supposed to be that size etc mm -hmm. and the uh the, the mosasaur creature that was killed in the 1800s by the whaler monongahela and dissected is of the mm -hmm. similar proportions to what paul saw swimming next to the carnival breeze so you know it's uh possible so i have to tell you something mm -hmm. My husband and I are planning a beach vacation, uh -huh. and we've been in talks about this for about a month now, and I'm reading your book, and I had to stop and ask him, yeah, I had to stop and ask him, and I was like, how do you feel about, like, an inner beach, uh -huh. like, that doesn't touch the ocean in any way? How do you feel about a lake? <laughs> um, just because... You know, in the book and then in another interview that I listened to as well, you're like, you know, it, you, you framed it perfectly. Like in a horror movie, you and a serial killer, at least you're on equal footing because you're both on land. Mm -hmm. But in a water cryptid situation or a, a, a giant behemoth under the waves, it's so intimidating. It is so frightening to me. Well, human beings are not the most most formidable uh creatures out there i mean bereft of technology we're, we're pretty helpless a chimpanzee mm -hmm. that weighs 50 pounds less than me is five times my strength right uh, i mean and in the water i mean poor steve Irwin was yeah. killed by a, a stingray yeah which is not you know a particularly dangerous creature but he his speed and agility i mean i saw the episode where he was chased by a komodo dragon oh my gosh intrigued by it and they have venom 
So they and there's not much of an antidote for that stuff and all that slobber. And yeah. this, this couple hundred pounds of hungry lizard, it comes after him. And he's like, uh-oh, it smells the blood on my leg. He goes, it's a food response. It's trying to eat me. You know, and he's in the tree. And the thing keeps coming because they can climb trees. Yeah. And he's kicking it in the face calmly. Oh it's trying to eat me. It's a food response. You know, like this. And, and it even lacerated his boot with its teeth. Oh, my goodness. But, but he was able to escape and fight this thing off. A much more dangerous animal. So in the water, all of his agility, et cetera, was lost. And right. it's worse when you're on the surface. And, you know, you don't have oxygen tanks and the water's dark and murky. And you can't see what's under you and something touches you. You don't know if it's a jellyfish or a 20-foot no. foot great white, you know. Or a, a plesiosaur that's been extinct forever in it. <laughs> or a mosasaur. That'd be a horrible death. Oh, God. They oh, my God. I mean, this thing, it was like... Um... I brought you a mosasaur tooth, by the way. Oh, did you? Okay, yeah, there's hold one on. right there. So Just, just a second. Let me get... Um, make sure this is okay. Okay. All right, go ahead. Oh, it's just it's a tooth from a mosasaur. But these, okay. this is yeah. from 65, 70 million years ago. Crown, root, that type of stuff. So That's insane. It's just... It's insane to me. Um I know that in the book you described, or Amara describes, um, she said, you know, whales, it's like their teeth are made for krill and such, or, um, you know, a, a bite and swallow type of thing. But plesiosaurs, or, you know, pliosaurs specifically, their teeth were made for bite down and thrash until you get a chunk to eat. Yeah, well, which, which is, is what, terrifying. Which is what happened to the one I showed you. Because this, the the punctures are in the center, on the surface of, of the centrum, so which means that you know this would have been connected to other backbones, but it was right. ripped apart and in the thing's mouth like this. Yeah, I mean crocodiles do that. They have that wedge-shaped head with those right. powerful jaw muscles. They bite, they twist, they roll, they tear out a big chunk and they swallow it. So if you're killing something to eat that's bigger than you, you can't swallow the whole thing, obviously. So there was a lot of big prey items in their world. Gigantic fish, sea turtles, all elasmosaurs. I mean, pliosaurs did eat other plesiosaurs and smaller yeah. pliosaurs and pretty much anything they wanted. So. That's just, it's scary. Um, it, it doesn't make me want to go in the water anytime soon, and I love the water. But, um, well, you know, it's my goal in life to cause bathing suit stocks to plummet because nobody wants to go in the water and they all sit on the sand that is true it's very true um i know i've i've gone we went to the bahamas a few years ago and my brother and i and we're both adults at this time you know we went out and we went to where the um the 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 reef started and so it kind of got dark right there and we swam out there and we were just talking and we both just kind of looked at each other and it was for no reason whatsoever we both freaked out and started swimming as hard as we could back to shore. And it was just too dark to see. And so it just got dark out there and it just got eerie. And so we swam as fast as, and we'd been snorkeling out in the depths, you know, and all of that. But it was like, just that unknown freaked us out completely. I, I, I could be freaked out by unpleasant things approaching in the water. I, I was chased out of the water by a shark once. And last time I was in Hawaii, I, uh, 
there was an enormous fish under us. I think it was a giant trevally, but I'd rather have one of them than, you know, a, a hungry tiger shark or something like right. that. Right. So, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, hold on just a second. I am having some technical difficulties. <laughs> As in, I've lost my entire screen, but I can still hear you, so we'll just keep talking. Um, yeah, so, okay, I wanted to go ahead and go into um, the cryptid side. So, okay, well, let's start first with how did you even get into this topic of um, paleo fiction, of all of the, all of that? Well, as you probably heard in a previous interview, my dad um, was a big rock hound. So he had, uh, he was always wheeling and dealing in fossils and minerals and things of that nature. Um, so I, I guess I got that love from him at an early age. Right. Well, I'm more into fossils. He, he liked okay. rocks too, you know, yeah. like a geode, a big stuff like oh, that. Oh, geology. Yeah. I failed that class. I'm not going to lie. The only class I've ever failed in my entire life was geology. Mm -hmm. And then I have Dennis Stone on last week or last time and then you so if you want to not talk about rocks i'm game i'm telling <laughs> it's not you not my strong point <laughs> no yeah I'm, I'm friends with a professor uh, mark mcmenamin uh from mount Holyoke college who developed the triassic kraken theory and um he's probably gonna get mad for saying this but whenever i call him and i get his cell phone he's gonna be like it's gonna be like you know you reached the cell phone of a uh, Dr. Mark McMenamin, leave a message, etc. And I shall get back to you before the passage of a significant amount of geologic time. And I go, <laughs> hey, Uber nerd, it's Max. <laughs> call me. <laughs> That's what I call oh my... Uber nerd. Okay. I'm going to have to uh, go back and re-listen to this episode and change my voicemail now. I'm uh, pretty sure yeah. it deters telemarketers. <laughs> Before the passage of a significant amount of geological time. What? You know, but anyway, so yeah, so my dad was into all this stuff. And I grew up being surrounded by giant shark teeth and mammoth bones and all sorts of things like that. And watching Star Trek and having prehistoric scenes, model kits. Yeah. And so I was really into prehistoric creatures growing up. And then um, I got it heavily into fishing also. So the, the water aspect of it and that they sort of combined. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I eventually, like, gosh, so many years ago, but had this idea about doing Cronus Rising in, in my head. And it just the whole thing with the spoiler, with the how I imprison these creatures in this caldera, right? you know, like to create this ability that was so believable that it could actually, you could feel it could actually happen. Kind of like the yeah. Wollongi Pines in Australia. They're Jurassic era trees that have been right. in a secluded little valley protected from the elements. For 150 million years or something like that it so, reminded me of lost world mm -hmm. or not lost um oh my god skull island king kong no, kind of yeah um something along those lines or lost world or yeah, you the know plateau. um or oh my gosh i cannot believe i'm forgetting the name of that movie um the center of the earth that journey one. to the center of the earth yes <laughs> with the remake with brendan Fraser. yes how can I forget? He's he's amazing. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of in the book was just that there was a place that was protected that all of a sudden it's unleashed on the world. That's kind of the premise, you know, and so that's what it reminded me of, even though I can't believe I forgot that. 
And it was cool because also I got to, it wasn't just the, the animal itself. There were other things in the lake inside the caldera. It's right. forage base, which in and of themselves are dangerous. Like yes. the prehistoric fish, Zephactinus, which they call the bulldog fish. They got to mm-hmm. be as big as a great white and it was a pack hunter and a carnivore. And the things that it ate that were five or six feet long and had huge fangs. I mean, it's yeah. an unpleasant environment. You wouldn't want to go skinny dipping mm-hmm. in no. Diablo It's like caldera. the things... The uh, things that are eaten there, that are prey there, are absolutely predators to us. I mean, it was very intimidating. I thought it was. I thought it was great how you played that, like it like leveled up. Like, okay, here's this weird ancient threat, but wait, there's more. <laughs> that's kind of how like the book kept but going. Wait. <laughs> but wait, but um, wait. So, I mean. You grew up in this, and I'm going to make you tell the story. You thought you were going to get out of it, but you cannot. Um, Which story is this? You grew up. Uh, I'm afraid now. (laughs) You grew up with these fossils surrounding you. Mm -hmm. Um, Normal kids do not. I just want to let you know. I grew up with a Bigfoot researcher for a mother, and to me, it would be weird to have fossils all around me. So did you ever take one of those fossils for show and tell or do anything any shenanigans with those fossils? You want me to tell the story about I it. want you to tell the story. All right. <laughs> it's too good. I, I don't remember how old I was. I think I was around 12 or 13, something like that. And lived in Southwest Philly at the time. And I used to go regularly. I had a membership to the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philly. It's a nice little museum. It has like a whole dinosaurs. And I was always bothering the guys to take me down to the wild animal room that they had in the basement. Biggest snapping turtle I ever saw in my life and stuff. They played a practical joke or two on me, those guys. But anyway, um, and at the time, the academy used to have this thing called a trading post. And it was really great. I mean, it was like set up with like, you know, made out of trees and all this stuff. Very Mm -hmm. like... And uh, so you could go there and you could bring them things and you could trade things with them in order to, you know, get something different. Polish stones, this and that, all this stuff. And it was my mom's birthday was coming up and I wanted to get her something nice. And so I brought all these like polished stones I had, agates and all this other stuff and everything. And I wanted this sable antelope horn that they had up there. It was like big curved gorgeous black and um and i was wheeling a deal with the guy i remember i'm like a 12 year old kid he's like i'm sorry kid that's you just don't have enough and then i was like i have to go for brokenness i said well how about this and i pull out my dad's prize megalodon tooth in a box and i sit it down and it was a beauty it was one of those bone valley megalodon teeth that has like the white root and the pitch black crown gorgeous i mean it wasn't gigantic i think it was around four inches or something like that but it was perfect serrations all this stuff i mean now oh, that, no. that, that tooth now would probably go for eight nine hundred dollars at least something like that yeah and the guy's like wow he's like that's uh hmm and then he didn't want to like give away the story he's like i'll tell you what i'm gonna do if you give me the stones and the tooth no i'll give you the horn and I'm like, Awful. deal. Like, and I brought it home, and my mom loved it. I was like this hero and all this stuff. And every so often, my dad would be like, hey, Max, have you uh, have you seen my big shark tooth? And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> not a clue. <laughs> Haven't seen it. 
gotta go. Oh my gosh. I mean, at so, least your motivations were kind of altruistic. Yeah. It's like, the, Mom, I love you so much. Instead of flowers, here's this. Yes. Oh, no, she, she really loved it. She had it hanging up in the room and all this stuff. It was like this, you know, I wanted something like you could like on. It didn't yeah. have the ability to do that, but it was just a really gorgeous it was thing. Cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I ever confessed. I know I didn't do it when I was young enough to be beaten and stuff, but a couple <laughs> years back, I might have, after a beer or two, said, you know, like, oh, by the way, Dad, I never <laughs> told you. <laughs> but oh, my gosh. Like, like, I just, I just can't imagine. Oh, my gosh. I just, I find that so funny just because it's like, because it was just laying around for you to do, you know, that just speaks to your upbringing and why you got into this um, area of expertise, kind of. Yeah, but now I have this gigantic fossil collection of my own, but I don't worry about my daughter, like, taking anything off and selling it or trading it, because mm -hmm. we have a deal that when I kick it, it's all hers. So she knows oh. she's getting everything anyway, so, you know, it's safe. So it actually hurts her if she steal yeah. some of your stuff because they go up in value over time so you know yeah yeah well yeah. of course you know yeah. well thank you for sharing that story hey, um listen. i'm safe was... now so <laughs> yes unfortunately um okay so you are a world record holding angler and i have some questions from the chat on um whether you do freshwater or saltwater or both um i have fished it seems like 50-50, although, um, like, I bought a boat back in 04 to take the old man, you know, mm -hmm. fishing a lot. Um, so we, we did a lot of everything, but I fished Alaska, Hawaii, Flor Florida, Montauk. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, in Montauk, I caught what would have been the world record blue shark to this day. It was a 700-something pound shark, but mm -hmm. I, uh, I didn't want to kill the shark, so we... You know, yeah. cut it loose. It was very angry anyway. It was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa. But, um, think, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I've done a, a mixed bag. I, you know, do a lot of lake um, fishing. I do pond fishing. Mm -hmm. Small water stuff now I do more like with charters, things like that. Right. You know, I have somebody who, it's their backyard. They know the lay of the land and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't, and I don't have to deal with a, a saltwater boat. But, uh, and yeah. I also even fish when I'm editing, weather permitting. Really? Yeah, I'll actually go I can see to that. a lake. It's it's the best. You're getting yeah. paid to fish, in my opinion. And I'll take yeah. a chapter, whatever book I'm working on, and I'll go to a local lake, and I'll sit under a willow tree with a folding chair and a little cooler and a stack of editing, and I'll put out yeah. a couple of rods with some bait, yep. you know, depending on what I'm fishing for, and in holders, and then I just start working. And this way, I'm not bored. And then every 15 yeah. or 30 minutes, zzz, one rod yeah. screaming, and I drop my stuff, and I hook the fish and I fight the fish and God willing, I land the fish and then I take a picture or have somebody take a picture and then I let it go. And then I get all the slime off my hands and yes. I bring my pipes, you know, and stuff. And yeah. you know, my editor's like, why is this uh chapter smell like a uh, mackerel? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, I didn't shower. I'm sorry. I was working so hard. I cannot but, uh, think of a better way to work. I really cannot. That. Yeah. That's why your books are so good. That's the secret. Fish slime. Yeah. Gives it an air of authenticity. The last time some, some woman was trying to pick me up at the lake, she sent her son over. It was a whole, uh, it was a cell. Oh, no. I could see it right away. I was like, oh, <laughs> 
Because they think, oh my God, he's doing, is he a writer? Is he an editor? He must be intelligent. He works at books. Ooh, you know, I don't see any wedding ring. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. That's the problem right there. You're not, you're not a, you're not the sheriff wearing his wedding ring, no matter what. My ring was actually burned up in a, in a truck fire years back. You probably don't know that story. I was trapped in a burning SUV. No. Yeah, and no. literally locked in, and it was on fire. It was a whole big thing, and I had to like, oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. And my ring had been one of the things, that, and then I got out, and thirty seconds later, the truck blew up. I was a fireball. Oh and my so, gosh. Yeah. Do you but I don't want to bore that? you. But it, there's no cryptids in, in it. So. <laughs> I don't want to bore you. Almost losing my yeah. life is fine. So, do you ever? Did you ever use that in any of your books? That. Well, I've had a lot of near-death experiences, and uh, for some reason, I'm remarkably cool under pressure. Like, mm-hmm. I, I realized when the truck lost power and everything, and then the, and it, all the gray stuff came out, it turned black, and the flames started coming out of the uh, where the wipers are, I knew there was a problem. And then I mm-hmm. tried to open the door, and it was locked because there was no power. The power locks weren't working. Right. And then I saw the smoke starting coming in, so I was like, all right, I got to get out of here. And, I, and then right then, you hear panic tapping you on the shoulder going yes you're gonna die like that <laughs> and i was like get out of here and i sucked in a big breath which had yeah. a little smoke in it okay but i it was better than what was coming next and then the whole cockpit was filled with smoke or cabin whatever you want to call it and all i could see was the yellow from the flames and i managed to get out of there and what but uh yeah it's a frightening thing you know you the the going through all this stuff, it, it contributes to making you a better writer, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. then I got yelled at by my wife because I, you know, after like the, the cops and the firefighters and all this other stuff. And, and then I wanted to go to the gym and go jogging. And instead she made me go to the hospital and be treated for smoke inhalation, which I did have, but I wanted to go jogging. From instead. her point of view, I mean, what a nag. Am I right? I know. I can't believe right? she made like, you go to the hospital. Marion Joseph. <laughs> What is wrong with you? But uh, yeah, I mean, things, you know, I've been shot at. I mean, I, I've, I've oh all sorts of stuff. I've done some stupid things when I was younger. Uh, I, you know, there's one thing on my blog where in the dark, I found this kid, freshman in the dorm who'd hung himself. And uh, I came face to face with his body in the dark. And he'd been hanging there for days, the poor guy. I mean, it was just, and the, the ugh. It was just, yeah. So, you know, you have all these experiences. You can relate. You can relay these things, the horror, the terror, how your heart is pounding. Right. You know, it sinks in, you're into your stomach. I mean, all this stuff yeah. loans itself to more realistic writing. And I can see that. Fortunately, I can see that. you know, my office now is much safer and more secluded. <laughs> if I panned up, you'd see giant fish. Here, I'll show you. Yeah. See, there's like giant fish all over ah, the there walls we go. and Look stuff. See, so anyway, my- but um. I'm very oh. glad that my husband's not interviewing you because it would literally be like wall. It would be nonstop fish conversation, which, you know, yeah. Um, so I'm going to keep it back to this, but yeah, uh, he, that right there would have been a 30 minute conversation. The giant fish on your wall, just letting you know, you dodged a bullet by having me. Um, One of my proudest moments, I don't want to digress, but just take a second. Yeah, no. um, my little girl had one of her, her friends over for a play date last year before the COVID thing. And um, the doors to my office were open and her, the girl's dad and brother, who was like 12 or something like that, came and the boy was walking around the house and he passed by my office. I was working and he stops in the doorway of my office. He looks up and he sees these giant like seven fish and stuff and he's like, oh 
God, like that. And I looked at him yeah. and I was like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes. Oh my gosh. That well, is that hilarious. alone was worth the expense of all the taxidermy mounts and the trips and stuff like that. The taxidermy, the trip, the gear, yeah. all yeah. of it. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. My husband would probably have that same reaction just walking by your office. Um, so what is the strangest encounter you've had while you've been deep sea fishing? You had any that just like kind of stood out to you? Hmm. Well, I think uh, I, it, it's funny because I've ex encountered a few cryptids in my day. Mm -hmm. um, but they haven't been like for somebody who's been on the water hundreds and hundreds of times. You would think I would encounter like a mega squid or a <laughs> sea serpent or yeah. you know a, a shark the size of a, of a, a stretch limousine or something like that. Um, it doesn't seem to happen. Maybe I'm not going far enough out, or maybe they just don't want to give me any publicity, you know. But um, uh, there was one time I was in um, fishing in Florida. Gosh, it was the phosphate docks down there on the Gulf Coast and uh, near Boca Grande. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were fishing for a giant for Goliath grouper, and uh, yeah. these are big fish. I mean, they're I, I've landed fish over four hundred pounds. I lost a six hundred pounder right next to the boat. So there's this really deep hole near the phosphate docks where sometimes very large, unpleasant things loiter in this hole. So I was, we were hauling in fish, and most the grouper were all pretty big. I mean. 250, 350 pounds and stuff. And I had a fish on it. And then all of a sudden, something like on the sonar, something big came up out of the hole and just took it. And I got yanked sideways into the polling platform. That's where like the guys in shallow water stand with the poles and stuff. Yeah. And then almost like ripped across and then almost went in. And I'm holding on for dear life. And there was this, uh, the captain, he liked to use steel leader, like cable. Yeah like the first hundred feet and whatever this thing was, it started tearing off this like 500 pound test steel leader. Like it was nothing. And I'm just holding on for dear life. And then it got to the mono, which is 400 pound test and snapped it. Like it was nothing. So it was able to exert at least 400 pounds of pressure yeah. to break that mono. And then it snapped the rod in half. I mean, like, and I was left there like, like an idiot. And then when it took off, it left a huge swirl and the swirl was almost as big as my office. I mean, it looked like a hippopotamus had surfaced and then rolled or something like that. Never saw it, never knew what it was. You know, my guide thought it was a, one of these like thousand pound grouper. He's like, man, mm -hmm. I'll bet that was one of them thousand pound groupers. <laughs> Say they see, but nobody ever hooks one because you can't handle them. And I'm like, well, no, but we need a new rod. So Yeah. But, That's, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen that before. We watch a lot of YouTube fishing. Um, stuff in my house it's either dinosaurs or fishing all the time um i like but, yeah but we've but we've seen that um cyril Sheke is like one of our favorites and or Sheko. we've watched his series about six thousand million times um but he goes after after that uh, quite a bit and and they're huge they're like the size of volkswagen bugs and but this thing must have eaten a 200 pound grouper it's insane so yeah you're getting some megalon questions on there I am not seeing it. Hold on. Oh, so do you think it's possible? I just see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um, do you, so do you think that? Well, actually a big section in the, the cryptid book that's out, well, it's in presale now, um, has, I, I investigated 
a lot of mega shark sightings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I uncovered some incredible evidence. In fact, there, there's if people go on the YouTube channel, um, Max Hawthorne's, uh, I think, book trailers, video trailers or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, for the new book, it actually has a photo in there of it, of one of these pieces of evidence. But I started off with great white sharks and um, a friend of mine who's a whale researcher uh, measured you know, live on video bites, huge bites and bite marks on whale carcasses. Mm -hmm. So these aren't old bites that stretched or grew with the right. whale or something like that. And this one like 40 foot humpback had two bites on it. One, they were from the same shark and the smaller bite where the shark didn't have to open its mouth as wide was 31 inches high. The larger bite was like 38 or 39 inches high. And I crunched, and this is from a great white. You can see the shape mm -hmm. and everything like that, immense. And using the most conservative formulas out there, I mean, I went through the different formulas and some of the projections were insane. I mean, they were saying 30, 35 feet and stuff like that. But the smallest, most conservative estimate I could get was like close to 26 feet the shark that was feeding on this whale. And that's oh, legit, no. right? There's no getting around it or anything like that. Um, I checked out the, um, like, so there was a, uh, a documentary on the Super Predator a few years back, and they thought that there might be a 35-foot white shark out there, like some sort of mutated version right. of Super Size or something like that. And they showed a, um, a pygmy blue whale pygmy being like 70 feet long and it had a yeah a long heeled uh scar on its peduncle that was a shark bite right. and they were crunching numbers on that and stuff and i checked that out and that particular bite had elongated it didn't grow but it kind of flattened right. down because it was on the top of the peduncle where it was moving up and down and stuff like that so it went like this but even when i adjusted for the curve the shark that attacked it was probably between 26 and 30 feet long but there is um, a whale shark that was photographed in 2017 by uh, Simon J. Pierce, the marine biologist, mm -hmm. who's great. And this shark had, was a 40-foot whale shark. So that's a big whale shark. Okay. And it has a four-foot bite taken out of its flank. And, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, the, the bite stretched or grew, but it hasn't. If you look at it and you look at the research I've done where you see like white shark bites and whale shark and how they fill in over a year, year right. and a half and stuff like that. Their healing is incredible. This bite, you could still see tooth marks on it. So I hmm. believe it's relatively fresh. When I say fresh, a year, year and a half old, something like that, that type of thing. Yeah. And the numbers indicate with the most conservative formulas from a Lasma ranchologist that the attacker was the same size as the whale shark. So That's but I don't think the teeth suggest a megalodon. That's the strange part. The, they're very pointy. Like a large megalodon has like its uh, primary like maxillary teeth are a little more rounded. Okay. And I would say that the guys who think there's either a supersized white shark out there might be right. My cat is trying to break into my office, but I, I <laughs> chained the door. He's very angry out there and stuff. But um, <laughs> he ruined it. And a guest started in an interview before, uh, like live his tail, so it coming across like a flag. And next oh thing, my gosh! Twenty pound cat on the loose. But um, <laughs> and, but um, and but there is a, a relative of megalodons, um, 
called Otodus tributensis, which mm-hmm. got to be approximately the size of that whale shark and had more triangular white shark-like teeth. So it's it's very strange. Um, mm-hmm. There is some sort of, in my opinion, and I, I collected plenty of evidence, huge macropredatory shark out there. There's just not a lot of them. We're just mm-hmm. not seeing them. And I'll, I'll tell you something else, and I, I, I couldn't put it in the book because I, I couldn't get like a approval on it for copyright purposes, et cetera. But like six, seven years ago, somebody, and I, I don't know who it was, and that's the problem, sent me a photo of um, a humpback whale like sounding and its flukes were above the surface of the water there. And it was a relatively fresh shark bite taken out of one of it, the lobes of its its flukes. And mm-hmm. the bite, you could see like individual tooth marks, hunks of blubber or stuff. And it was like a nick, like the thing came after it, tried to get it by the flukes, failed, but left, did some little bit of damage. Yeah. And it's undeniably a shark bite and it's almost the width of the flukes. So you got to say, well, how big is this humpback? Which we don't know. Right. Being conservative, one would say it's probably a a younger one or something like that. But even if that's true, it suggests a shark bite at least as big as the one that was on that whale shark. And if it's an adult humpback that has 10 to 12 foot flukes, as they usually do, that suggests a shark with a bite radius of five or six feet. So it's, but I I can't share it because I don't, you you know, for copyright. Yeah, I'm not going to get hung out to dry or something like that but ah, i'm sitting on this photo and you know yeah. it's like but yeah there uh, there is something out there there is some sort of big i mean at least for your own purposes of writing and researching i mean that gives you you know you have that for your own purposes i mean that doesn't help me any but i mean it's it's good for you and what and everything you're doing and kind of helps motivate you to keep going um i'm sitting on evidence photos for bigfoot stuff that I will never share because the person doesn't want me to, but mm-hmm. it helps me feel motivated to keep doing what I do. So Definitely. at least there's that. Um, Weird realities would like to know, do you think there could be one in the Mariana trench? And I believe she's referring to like the Megalodon shark and such. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't think so because of the fact that first there'd be no reason for a Megalodon to go down into the trench megalodon fed on whales um in my opinion the uh the larger adults were more geared towards scavenging carcasses the mid-sized and small ones were active hunters but whales are more near the surface mm-hmm. the only whales that typically go deep like that would be something like a sperm whale and sperm whales are capable of defending themselves mm-hmm. so uh, if you were a megalodon shark you wouldn't be going down there i mean your bread and butter is at the surface or the first three four five hundred feet something like that you know so uh i I don't think so i mean you do get deep sea sharks like the the six gills and things like that that are quite sizable that are down there um so you know they could be 20 maybe 25 feet or more i've seen some footage but uh i don't think you're gonna have uh, a predator that's designed to prey on cetaceans you know subjecting yeah. itself to all that pressure and darkness and its prey item being elsewhere. Well, that is also explained in the book, should you choose to read it, which I, I highly recommend you do. Um, it explains kind of the um, changes that the predator's bodies go through the farther they sink down. And then when they finally do get down to the bottom of the trench, what 
prey items are down there, which at one, one point there's like a giant squid down there to eat. But other than that, not much else. So, um, but you do get whale carcasses sometimes that, that drift mm -hmm. down. It's called whale fall. Um, mm -hmm. But these are carcasses that have been usually typically adrift for some time, weeks or even months. A lot of times they're fairly stripped mm -hmm. of, of the the juicy bits, shall we right. say. Um, and then they get down there and the scavengers, you know, have their way with them. Yes. And crustaceans. And, I mean, there was oh, yes, footage yes, out yes. recently of a group of octopuses eating a whale carcass, a whole bunch yes. of them all over it. And I was like, yeah, those are the babies of the giant octopuses I have in my next book. So, oh my gosh. No spoilers. I told you. Oh. Okay. No spoilers. Okay. Um, well, the what? title's kind of a giveaway. Kraken. <laughs> okay, fine. I won't. I'm just going to order the next book and pre-order the book we're going to talk about here in a second. Yes, ma'am. So, thank you. What is the most plausible dino cryptid sighting in your opinion? And then we are going to go into straight cryptids. Okay. Dino meaning something in the water. I mean, I don't like all I know about it are the things that, you know, the marine stuff for the most part. I mean, I've That's heard fine. stuff, we'll stories about Mokele Mabemba and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I you know, put a lot of salt in that. I mean, some people have theorized that, it's possible that there's a relic population of Spinosaurus aegypticus loitering somewhere, eking out an existence. It's I, I find it unlikely, but it might explain some of the sightings, the the frill, you know, the sail mm -hmm. on the back, I mean, and stuff like that. And it, it would be an aquatic animal, like a crocodile would be in the water most of the time. But I think that the most likely the odds of us finding a living marine reptile from the Cretaceous is either going to be a Mosasaur or a long Plesiosaur type. But it would be in, in a marine environment, almost mm -hmm. very unlikely that it would be in a lake. Okay. Just the law of averages, the space, the food supply, and yes. everything else like that. Um, I did have another question from Stephen Hill. Hold on a second. Um, what are your thoughts on giant squids living in blue holes? Like the Lusca, that type of thing? The, I think it's more likely you're going to have an octopus. A squid is mm -hmm. a... Uh, they're all over the place. They have a wide hunting territory. They move up and down the water column, depending on mm -hmm. light and things of that nature. Um, octopi are more likely to stake out a territory and hang there, etc. There was one show, I don't know who it was... Um, where they were looking at one of these blue holes where the Luska in the Bahamas, an immense octopus, was supposed to live. And they, they saw something, a huge signal that was coming up through supposedly up the wall or whatever where they were at, and they just ran for their lives. Mm -hmm. So, But uh, I'm a firm believer that there are giant octopi out there. I interviewed someone who, off the coast of Florida, it's in the new book, in fact, okay. him and a couple of his friends had an encounter with it an octopus that they said was 80 or 90 feet long like that. And uh, they saw the arm was like checking out their boat and stuff, the tentacle. And they oh stood there watching God, it. gives me chills. It was right there. <laughs> and, that um, gives me chills. But, uh, you know, squid you would find more out in the open water. Okay. So, especially really okay. big squid. I was part of a, um, I'm part of this clubhouse um, on, it's for iPhones and, um, we did, it's a crypto clubhouse, and we did a water cryptid 
session and it was right before this show. So I was sitting there taking notes, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I did the Oklahoma octopus, which is a hoax. It's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did learn a lot about how octopi can become freshwater and how far they travel away from the oceans, which I did not know before doing all that research, but they're very adaptable. They're amazing animals. They dream. They uh, there's there's footage out of the you know they can change color and texture mm-hmm. and all sorts of things like that. They're masters of camouflage. Their brains are as large as larger than many mammals, and that's only the portion that's in their mantle and their quote, head. They also yeah. have two thirds of their neurons are in their tentacles. Okay. An octopus can actually assign two of its three of its tentacles a task and then think about something else. And the arms will still do it. I need that ability as a mother. That would be fantastic. Can you imagine? Or as a writer, I could watch television <laughs> while penning the next book. Absolutely. We need somebody to, to just put all this aside and work on that. Science, what are you doing? We don't need hover cars. We need to be able to do this, okay? That would be fabulous. Um, so going into your new book, mm-hmm. Monsters and Marine Mysteries, available for pre-order now. Yes, on Amazon. On Amazon. Yes. So we have whale-eating squid, sharks the size of whales, and a swimming Bigfoot. Yes. That I saw myself. Yes. So what can you tell me about that experience? About the the hairy red thing, as as we called it. (laughs) Um, Well, it's, it's funny because at the time, I didn't really understand. You know, this is like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't understand what it was I was looking at. It wasn't until I started doing research on a lot of things, including Sasquatch, et cetera, that I was like, "Oh my God!" So that's what that was. But um, so I was, we, my family, we used to have a, a house on the shore of Candlewood Lake in Danbury, Connecticut, and uh, which was great. I'd spend like so many, you know, summers up there fishing the lake and stuff. And Candlewood Lake is very big. It has like 50 miles of coastline. It's part of a, parts of it are uh, like a, a national park. Um, there's a lot of wilderness around parts of it, but there's also dwellings on certain parts of it as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so this happened at a place called Squance Pond. And Squance is part of Candlewood, but it's by itself, like they're, they're sort of connected. It's two parts of the same lake. And uh, it's part of that f- national park that I aspect. And um, right. So me and my brothers, we would like to go to Squance and go fishing. We didn't have a boat or access to a boat at this point. So we decided we were going to go fish the causeway, as it's called, which is the a road that's been constructed between Candlewood itself and Squance. So it's a, right. a very narrow, like, two-lane road, and it's formed of, uh, like, chunks of, big chunks of rock and gravel that they piled up. Okay, and then there's yeah. like a, a concrete and steel reinforced, I guess, tube. I don't know how wide it is, maybe five or six feet wide that goes between the two lakes underwater. And this right. allows the fish and other animals, aquatic animals, mm-hmm. muskrat, et cetera, to travel back and forth between the two lakes. Okay, just setting the stage. Oh, yeah. So, so we, uh, yeah, and so we go there and we got up, at, we were there at the crack of dawn. And it had, I don't know if it was a weekend or a weekday. Um, but it had been raining like all night and it was still cloudy out and it was probably pretty dumb of us to go fishing, but it had stopped raining. So we got there at like dawn and set up shop 
on on the squance side of this causeway. So we're sitting on the this angled pile of like gravel and rocks there in the, right. of the lake out there. And there was a bit of mist on the lake and uh, it was gloomy out and there was nobody out. I mean, it was very like dead. So I don't know if it, it might have been a, a weekday where people were still in bed or, or, or a weekend. I, I have no idea. Like I said, it was about 30 years ago. But um, so we were using live minnows for bait. We threw out a bunch of them there under bobbers and we let them sit there and, you know, 20, 30 minutes passed and nothing was happening. So my two brothers decided, all right, we're going to go fish the other side. So I was like, all right, I'll stay here. I was thinking, I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to hole in like a longer bass while you're over there missing out and stuff like yeah. that, you know. So they went up and they crossed the, the little road and then went the other side. So it's kind of like you go up, cross, down. They were maybe, mm -hmm. maybe 100 feet away from me, like if it was a straight line, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm sitting there and nothing's happening. And then I see this thing in the water and it was kind of far at first it might have been 100 to 200 feet away something like that um it would come to the surface and it was a little disturbance and then it would go under again and then it would come up again but it was a little closer this time and then it would go under again and as it started getting closer i started like looking at it and i'm like this thing is like covered with hair it was like reddish orange kind of color sort of like mm -hmm. a beaver Okay, so at first I thought it was a beaver, but then as it got a little closer and everything, and I was like looking up, you know, stood up, and I was looking at it, I could see it wasn't a beaver. It was much too big. It had a head that was I don't know, like yay big, and there was like a a, a body of some sort behind it that was kind of elongated out there, and it would come up like I said, and then it would go back down. I, I think it was eating stuff off the bottom or something like that. You know, the water was very murky, like a coffee color from all the mm -hmm. runoff from all the rain and stuff. And uh, there's a lot of crayfish around there, especially because of all the rocks okay. and stuff yeah. like that. So that might have been whatever this thing was, whatever it was, was doing. And um, as it got closer, and it was still, I'm going to say, at least maybe 75 feet away or 100 feet away at this point, um, I started thinking, is that a deer? You know, but deer yeah. don't have like a dome-shaped head right. you know or anything like that i'm like that's not a deer i'm like it must be a big irish setter and that's what i was trying to mm -hmm. convince myself that it was an irish setter because about it was about five feet long and i'm like it doesn't look like an irish setter you know i'm like what is this you know and you could kind of see like legs behind it and it, when it swam it didn't swim like a person it's it, like there was no flutter kick its legs moved right. together like you see, like when girls wear a mermaid suit. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, like that. Except it wasn't a mermaid, obviously. And, right. and it would swim like this, would go under, and then it would come up and it was like, like another 10 feet closer or something like that. And eventually, it was about, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, I'm going to use the length of the house here, maybe 60 feet away when this happened. And mm -hmm. it came up and I saw the, the head. It was definitely dome shaped and it was hairy and there was water running off of it and i was like i gotta see what this is so i went to like move up higher on the the hill with the rocks and stuff to you know improve my vantage point and as i did i guess i dislodged like you know some rocks a little mm -hmm. bit you know it's slippery footing and it must have heard me and then it, it went to dive and this was the part that freaked me out is that as it went to dive its arm broke the surface this one 
the left one. And I saw its upper arm, its elbow. It had this distinctive elbow and its forearm mm-hmm. like this. And they broke the surface like this much was sticking out. And you could see the long hair, you know, water streaming off it. It went like that. And then it went under real fast. And then it was swimming straight for the tunnel between the two lakes. Yeah. And I was like looking. And I couldn't see it, but I saw the disturbance as it went through like this. So I ran up and I ran across the the road, almost got killed. uh, And uh, because I'm an idiot. But uh, I went to the other side. I'm like, guys, guys, look, look, look. There's a hairy red thing. That's how I described it. A big hairy red thing. I said, it has like arms. I said, and it's going to be coming through right now. And I think it got through. I think it beat me, honestly, going through. Yeah. Because as soon as I said that, like there was all these lily pads, which are great bass habitat and stuff, on the mm-hmm. shore there, maybe a hundred feet from us, and that mm-hmm. way. And all of a sudden, there was like this disturbance in the lily pads, like something was moving through there, but we couldn't, you know, see what it was. And they were like, "That's ah, just a big fish or something like that." And yeah. you know, that's what happened. I got no picture. And I was like, "I'm telling you, it had arms. I saw it. Its arms. Its arms were the size of mine, but it yeah. was." You know, and I have pretty big arms. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm only, I'm six one. This thing was like five feet long. I'm not flexing or anything like that, all right? But um, no, but you know, it was like you know, it was like covered with hair, like right. long hair and stuff. And so it didn't dawn on me until many many years later that this was some sort of like primate. And when I researched, yeah. was in research for for the Monsters and Marine Mystery book, I found at one point something from like. 1918 or something like that and they were like saying how it was like in an old paper that fishermen on the lake had described a this is a quote hairy wild child in the Mm -hmm. water yeah okay there so and back then nobody used the term bigfoot right and that's what they used to call i found out you know these creatures but this was a small one so i'm assuming it was a juvenile and it was you know maybe breaking rules and eating crayfish and I I, it sounds like it was just snorkeling for um for crayfish yeah i uh, mean they're easy to catch you turn over rocks yeah. and there they are yeah you know? i mean my, my my kids we go to the creek every year and catch them and i mean mm-hmm. just like that except we don't snorkel we just kind of like cruise along but um you know i've had other encounters given to me of um drownings in in lakes and rivers of something pulling them under and um that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> of um, hands, big hands grabbing them. Um, of sightings of crypt of Bigfoot cryptid type creatures um, swimming under the water and coming up out of the water, and of underground caves where cryptids mm. like Bigfoot have come out and gone back in. So I mean, it's not that off the mark to think that you know this is a source of their food and where they hang out, and you just happen to be the lucky one to catch one coming across there. Uh, I, oh, I, I was going to tell my brothers, I said, I was thinking like if you get a lure and you could cast it like a crankbait and try and snag it, but that yeah. probably wouldn't go over too well. I don't, I don't think so. No, yeah. I, I think it's probably for the best um, that you handled it the way you did. Yeah. Um, I've had alligators on, on my line. Yeah. And they're not happy about it. So. Yeah. Know. No. So um, monsters and marine mysteries and that's a fantastic encounter you give, by the way. Um, so you've done a lot of research and a lot of witness um, encounters through that. 
correct? Oh gosh, yeah, that was it, it was really great. There's like three or four or five, I forget people, but I um I got to interview people that nobody knows are still alive that have seen things like from 1976 mm-hmm. and uh, 1969 and stuff like that. I mean, they're old, older gentlemen now, but people that um, have like incredible things. I got to talk to the souls, the only one who's left that saw, what was it they were calling it? The Cape Sable Serpent? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've heard um, that one yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, but really, he said uh, he had no idea where they came up with that name because it was, they were calling it the Southside Sea Monster. Um, but okay. these are uh, like Canadian fishermen from 1976. A group of them over like a five day span every other day were all attacked and chased by the same immense marine predator. Mm-hmm. And this thing, like, it was, it, to me, I think it sounds like like a mutated like goosefish or something like that from the description, mm-hmm. um, but it was like fifty or sixty feet long and it attacked their boats and chased them and it, it was in the newspapers and everything. I put the newspapers in there and all this yeah. other stuff and but yeah, he described to me in full detail and being somebody who has experience in the water, I was like very like every aspect of it, weather, visibility time what were you fishing for were you anchored up weren't you what were you using for bait what was the fishing technique i mean i got so much information from the this guy and he was a teenager when yeah. this happened and him and his father were almost eaten by this monster and it's it's so but the thing is is so much of the stuff is wrong from this the, the cryptid files that exist on this sighting these sightings right. because it was three different groups of fishermen attacked mm-hmm. in 1976 but um it was like right around the fourth of july back then and mm-hmm. everything not everything wasn't wrong but people took artistic liberties or what the illustrations uh, and it was also strange there was i think some disinformation done about this because he said that some person mm-hmm. showed up at their house and he wanted them to describe in detail the creature that they saw and right. they had an artist with them and he they drew it and it was exactly what they saw and he said okay yeah it'll be in the papers and they left and gave him no information. And then what appears in the paper is some long, snaky looking serpent thing. Hmm. Nothing like what they said. Interesting. You know? Yeah. It's like I encountered a lot of that. Also. I was going to, that was my next question was, did you run into that with anything mm. else? Oh, gosh. There is, um, there was a sighting in Sanibel, this couple. There's a pretty famous video out there where they, they, um, they saw something pass under their boat and then grab a manatee and take it. Okay. And I got approval oh, no. to use frames from the, the video and everything. And he was telling me how it was weird how when they gave it to somebody to put on YouTube, the quality, HD quality was lost, like the, mm-hmm. the footage. But what's worse is, you know what fogging is? Mm-mm. Okay, so you ever see somebody like that goes on and they're like testifying against like some psychopath or something like that or the mob and their face yeah. is blocked out? Or okay, if, you, yes. or if yes. you have a video and you don't have approval to use somebody's right. face, then I they, didn't know that's they, what that was called. <laughs> yeah, they put like this pixelated thing around them yeah. and stuff like that. It's called fogging. So I was, as I was going through frames of this thing and looking at it, somebody did that. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of key frames where somebody frame by frame, fogged out the juicy bits the good stuff okay and, and i have crazy. the stills in my book and you can see even in black and white images you can see the square 
where it's right. been fogged and multiple squares in somebody. So somebody went through this video footage and mm -hmm. took out, hid the evidence. And I believe it's like because people were saying, oh, it's just a manatee rolling on the surface. But it's not, in my opinion. It's something grabbing mm -hmm. a manatee and they don't want you to see that. So they hid like whatever this stuff would be, the manatee's face, what wraps mm -hmm. around it, this type of stuff. There's no other explanation. Why would those critical frames in this video footage be boxed out with these little blurry pixelated squares? Yeah. You know? It's like, why? You know, we want the truth. I know. So. And I've, I've seen that so much before in um, the Bigfoot world, obviously. Um, so it doesn't really surprise me, but I guess because I'm not well-versed in water cryptid lore and history and everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't surprise me that it happens, but it's just kind of, I can't believe that it happens there too. You know, I guess, I don't know. That's just crazy to me. I don't doubt it at well, all. It's, it's all in the book. So like, you know, when you go through it, you'll mm -hmm. see individual frames. And if you have the, the Kindle version, you'll be able to enlarge it. And there's no oh, missing yeah. it. I mean, in, in color, it stands out even more. But in black and white, it's there. And there's I, I show arrows, each one, ba, 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 all this stuff. So somebody didn't want Joe and Jane public to see I mean, whatever it was that happened. It grabbed a manatee. Something grabbed him. Manatees are not little. No. They are not they, petite, edible snacks. No, but they are uh, fairly defenseless. So yes. something big enough... Yes. To grab one, it's like a burger to go. Oh. What? So, what, list to me the things that are big enough to grab a manatee. No, you want me to that, that would everything? be in that area. Let's put it this way: in Hawaii, there have been many sightings of immense octopuses. Okay, mm -hmm. and it seems like these sightings all coincide with the green turtle egg laying season. So these okay. big mother turtles that could weigh 600 pounds or more are all coming ashore to lay their eggs. Okay. They're slower than normal. They're going to be very tired and weak on the way back. I don't think it's a coincidence that octopus is reported being 40 or 50 feet long would be in that vicinity. They're there right. for an easy meal. And a turtle that weighs 600 pounds is an easy meal. Octopi have like squid have beaks that can crunch through shells and yeah. the, the, the plastron is even softer than the carapace. Um, mm -hmm. So if there's a predator that knows that manatees are in that area and migrating through that area, et cetera, they may time their approach. And there were two encounters because one of the guys I interviewed who saw something scary down there said they called and they reported. And the, the, the person they spoke to, um, I don't remember if it was the harbor master, I think he said, or the Coast Guard, said, oh, yeah, yeah, we know about it. Somebody reported a couple of days ago. And you're like, okay, so you know there's this giant predator, but you're not warning people? Like you didn't think to tell people that might be swimming, fishing? I don't know. I mean, that's the, I, I, that struck me as a little odd. But, you know, me, I, I mean, I wear my tin foil hat to sleep. <laughs> I do not. I think we all do. Uh, yes. But, um, you know, so I, these are certain things that I encountered during uh, the research struck me as odd like that. Yeah. So yeah, if you that's know definitely... that there's a, a large predator that's capable of eating a manatee, it could be capable of eating something else. Like human. I don't know. Just saying. 
dog, yeah. whatever. I'm um, not insinuating anything or anything like that, but uh, yeah. I have to tell you, real quick side note back to the book, um, Kronos Rising, is I learned so much about um, octopi that I, I guess I, I thought I knew, but I, I learned so much about them, and I've never really been that scared of the giant squid situation until I read this book. Now I'm freaking terrified, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> there are things listed it's in there. It's just a novel. There's not, no, you know, some of these things are real. <laughs> well, there are colossal squid and there are giant squid and sometimes they get much bigger than people think and they are carnivorous. And if I was snorkeling and a 60 foot squid came up to me, I would be very frightened. Their tentacles. It's in their tentacles that just. The oh, the ones with the teeth. Yes. The oh my have, God. Yeah, they have claw. Yeah. It's not like an octopus. Like I've caught octopi while fishing. Yeah. accidentally and you know you're trying to get them off of you and the octopus doesn't realize you're not trying to hurt it you're you know trying to get the fish hook out and you're trying to let it go right. and every time you peel off one arm three more take its place it's like something you need like five friends to help you to get this poor octopus back in the water. but uh you know squid they're suckers they're lined with teeth sometimes they have like a claw that comes at the center i mean they're designed yeah. to you know and yeah. rip and tear and they, they don't want to let go so in the book, you know, Max describes this giant squid and it's it's got these teeth and its tentacles and all of this and it's Is it the one with the know, whale was eating? Yes, and it's yeah, like rawr and so it's like yeah. ripping the whale to shreds and all this and the prey becomes the predator situation and you're just like no I'm sitting there tra <laughs> I'm traumatized by the giant squid mm -hmm. and then the whale comes along, whatever, and then something comes along that eats basically both of them and i'm just like it actually just eats the squid it's and you it gotta like, up the ante though and it like chomps the squid it makes sure to mush it so it doesn't get any pokey pieces and then it eats it yes <sighs> attention to detail because they do have that bony what they call it's called a gladius like the sword yes. that runs through there yeah yeah, yeah. So. i learned much more about giant squid than i've ever wanted to know in my entire life and also I will not be swimming in the ocean anytime soon. So thank you for that. My travel plans have um, become a lot more financially manageable. Thanks to you. <laughs> I, I was going to say your husband put me up to it, but that's, that's not true. So <laughs> no, he's actually watching this show. He just sent me a message that uh, he told me to smile. He said, I looked very angry, but I was concentrating on your, um, your uh, cryptid story with the Bigfoot or gigantic irish setter or whatever it was um I'm, i was concentrating because i just i could just see it in my mind a juvenile bigfoot or you know whatever just it, swimming along there picking up crayfish so and eating it odd you know it's like when you see something that's not supposed to be there that's right. not supposed to exist yes and you're staring at it you're like really you know like yeah. like like and your brain is trying to make sense of it. It, you, it comes you know. up with any other possible thing that it could possibly be. Right, that's you what know? you do. It's an instinctive yeah. thing. And, yeah. and like when my daughter and I encountered this this wing thing a couple years back, yes. and you know she was all excited, like daddy, you know, like like, yeah. and I'm staring at it, and my brain is like churning, like you know, in the in the book mm -hmm. where that computer system Archimedes. Yes. <laughs> you know, 
like that. And uh, I'm yeah. like, duh, 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 like, like trying to go through the whole entire animal kingdom at light speed <laughs> with adrenaline and, and identify what this thing is that I'm staring at. And you come up empty. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And then you walk around scratching your head. Like, did that just happen? You know? Yeah. Like, so thankfully That's what she I, was there. I, so something I always tell witnesses as, as soon as it happens and you come back to earth, write it down because within the next 24 to 48 hours, your brain is going to come up with, all kinds of reasons it couldn't be what it was. Oh, I so write it. down exactly what you saw, every single mm -hmm. detail you can recount, because when you look back in that on three days, like you will already have formulated exactly what you think it is, mm -hmm. but you need to look at your notes because that's going to give you the best bet of what you saw. Oh, it's burned into my brain. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I could see this thing in my mind right now. Like if there was a way to hook it up and we could just play it, you know, if I had yeah. a dash camera, you know, like when that happened, because it was right there in my headlights, suspended there. Yeah. And and like not not the you know the hairy red thing. I mean this this the wing thing. Yeah. And and it was just like like posing for the camera practically. I mean like like. <sighs> if you had had a dash cam, you would have never seen it. No, I, I think <laughs> I think it was hurt. It was hurt. Okay. It was, first. Yeah. it was on the ground and and all and yeah. It's a long story. I don't want to bore you. People. How long is you know, the show for? Um, it's whenever uh, oh I was god. just a. <laughs> You're here forever. Oh my god! You are my paleo fiction monkey forever. <laughs> um, I was actually about to start wrapping up, um, just kind of asking a few last minute questions and such. Um, but I, I think it's just the monsters and marine mysteries. I think it's interesting how you went from writing this. Um, paleo fiction series and you've written a few other things as well he's written a children's book everybody um, and you can go to the website everything's in the link below I have listed all of his links to check out his works but he's written um, other books as well for you to check out but the latest one the monsters and marine mysteries it just seems like a natural progression from where you started to now it just seems like it, it was inevitable that you were going to end up writing about marine cryptids basically I, well, my research kind of loaned itself to that, yeah. and I, I've become friends with a, a lot of cryptozoologists and stuff. So, um, yeah. but you know, I, my own personal experiences like been like freaky. I mean, like if somebody just asked what the wing thing was. Should I? Yes. Should, should I say? Go it? for it. Go for it. The whole story, or just like the Cliff's Notes version? Um, I mean, it's up to you if you want to do. Um, I mean, just. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's all in. The, it's all in the book. But uh, basically, uh, we were driving. We encountered this thing lying in the street, and I live near the woods. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I believe that it. It there was snow. It was like flurrying and pretty windy, right. and you know, so vis visibility was. Can I say crap on here? Yeah. Okay, good. You already said douche, so I think I you're good. Oh, good, 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 good. That guy was a douche. <laughs> he you was. Don't treat, you don't treat women like that. But anyway. Bradford um was something else. Yes. Boy, May he rest in peace. Yes, pieces. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so so I, I think this thing hit a power line or something like that. And okay. I think it was hurt. Okay. And, and then we were driving along, and I thought it was a piece of debris or something like that. And I was going real slow, and I was going to straddle it with my tires. And I had 
said out loud to my daughter, there's something in the, the road. So she was like, she, she was in a car seat on this side and she was leaning forward. So she saw it too. Yeah. And then it started to like lift up. Like it was like pushing itself up. And, and how big um, was it? I would, its head was about the size of an apple. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I think it was about a foot tall, but I'm, I'm okay. guessing. And because uh, I didn't see the, the whole thing. I saw it push itself up and that's when I, I, I stopped and it was in my headlights. Now this is at nighttime in the dark, but the headlights are right there. So it's brightly lit and you see it's like gray, dark gray skin, black eyes and all. And it was like this, like, ah, like that. Not a lot of teeth, but it was very angry or upset. And I think it was afraid because, you know, yeah. you two or three tons of SUV bearing down on you and you're like this big, it can't be a, you know, so, um, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, and like I said, told you, my brain was like churning yeah. through raccoon, groundhog, rabbit, squirrel, rabbit, squirrel, you know, like <laughs> everything and anything I could think of, you know, and nothing made sense. It was like, it, it's sort of like the homunculus from the Sinbad movie or something like that. Yeah. You know, really, it was an uh, unpleasant looking thing. Right. Okay. And, I'm and thinking scary. labyrinth. Like, it just makes me think of the labyrinth. I don't know uh, why. Like, but... If you tried to touch this thing, it would bite your finger right off. Yeah. Guaranteed. Okay. But, um, and then I said out loud, like, what the H, I'm not so used to, I, I said it. I don't yeah. normally use that language. My daughter was seven at the time. Yeah. This is November 22nd, 2016. That's right. the exact day. Okay, it's on the drawing I did when I, I wrote it. Came in and walked in, but um, and so I said, "What the hell is that?" And then as I said that, it sprang up into the air, and it wings come out like this, and the wingspan, I I, I mean, I, I think like recently I, I stepped outside my truck and I kind of like eyeballed how far away it was, and I would say it was about two car lengths away from me in the air and it had like insect like wings two no. sets okay. no i don't like that they were not like dragonfly wings i mean they were clear like that okay yeah that was my they next weren't question. shaped like that they were like long thin ovals like okay. that and they were the same size and they were vibrating like like a like a hummingbird does or something like that it was holding right. itself right there but it looked different in the air so i don't know if it could blend with the asphalt change colors what but uh it was like very like ethereal looking in the air. Like the wings were like lit up, I guess, by my headlights and had like a glowing edges to them and stuff. And it looked more like whitish or silvery like there. And it mm -hmm. was just there. And I'm staring at it. And, and Ava's like, it's a fairy, daddy. It's a fairy. And she's pointing right at it. And I think it saw her move like that. Yeah. It was like, like this or something like that. And then it went that can right be over the roof of the truck. Like, and it was a very powerful flyer. I mean, like, I think, like I said, I think it got stunned or hurt, you know, hit a wire, something like that, and crashed. And then it got its breath or whatever, its energy back. And then it just, you know, when it realized, like, you know, like somebody was pointing at it and stuff, you know, it just took off like gangbusters and stuff. And it was gone. That, that uh, fight or flight um, kicked in. So whereabouts was this? This is in Buckingham, Pennsylvania. And by the way, somebody from a, a cryptid show had sent me info after I had spoken about this on um, a show. And there was uh, these people in Pennsylvania who um, 
I have to find the listing, but they were sitting outside of their like house or cabin. They had like an overhang on the porch and flowering flower pots hanging down, mm -hmm. flowering plants in them and stuff. And uh, they heard something and something came out of one of the, the flowering plants and they saw a winged humanoid, like a foot tall. It was like yeah. gray. It sounds like the same type of creature. And it just like came out and it like it was like hiding or sleeping or resting in the flower pots and stuff and then it got disturbed somehow or I forget the details but it and it they a bunch of them saw it. So uh you know, but if it was a fairy, first of all, if it was like a friend of mine was like, Oh, that was like a baby mothman. If that was a mothman, mothman looks nothing like the statues and the drawings. <laughs> it didn't have glowing red eyes. The wings were like insect wings. Yeah. Clear membranous wings. Okay, and the wings were big, like the wingspan. I'm I'm gonna guess was at least a yard for a foot tall creature, maybe maybe even four feet. It had big wings. For I have to say, somehow that is even creepier than the real Mothman encounters or any other cryptid, marine or otherwise. That is somehow that's just creepy. It was it was something to see. I mean, like, and if you think about it, wings wing wise. I mean, if you look at a bird, a bird's height compared to its wingspan, the wingspan is you know several three times the height of the bird. Easy, right? Not more, yeah. Like an eagle. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you look at a seagull, it's even worse. But uh, uh, this thing was. I walked into the house talking to myself. I was like, "What the." Yeah. My wife's like, what's about? And she was like, Mommy, we saw a fairy. We saw a fairy. And if this is a fairy, they're not these cute little Tinkerbell like things. No. Was, you know, this was about, you know, yay big. Okay. Something like that. And, you know, wings out to here. And, and it was hideous. I mean, like, ugh. ugh. Mm. But, uh, and I went on the computer and I'm like, largest bat found in North America. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This, uh, no. You know, the closest I came was like the, the extinct dragonfly Megalurna, I think it's pronounced, which was the size almost, but they've been extinct since the Triassic. And this was not an insect. It had a yeah. face. It had eyes. It had a mouth. It had like arms. You know, it was like really bizarre. You said you did a drawing of it? Yes, it's in the book. Okay. All right. Well, and, I, have and I, drew, a... I drew its face also. Okay. I used to be an artist, so I can draw. So. Okay. Well, definitely, you guys pre-order that book to check it out, because um, that's that's something that that's creepy. I don't know why the little things creep me out so much more than the big things, unless it's in water. Apparently. I don't know, but you know, I, little I mean, crittery things creep me out. Yeah, and lately. Yeah. I've been trying to, um, because my former agent, she had said, oh, it's a brownie. They're a large species of fairy that, yeah. um, you know, they live in the treetops with squirrels and stuff like that. And they eat they don't... berries, this type of stuff, you know? So like, uh, and there's some, a funny story about what happened after that, what my daughter and I tried to do. I don't want to spoil everything for people, but, um, <laughs> but lately I've been trying to, I put out a camera trap in the vicinity mm -hmm. of the woods there. And I, yeah. I, I, have a suspended, you know, like tray from there that I bought for that purpose. And I keep going out every other day and I'm putting fruit out there and stuff. Yes. And I'm, I'm hoping they get this sucker. You know, I've got infrared, I've got the whole enchilada. Okay. Yeah. So I'm hoping they get this thing on video. I'm probably just going to get the bobcat that keeps attacking the deer and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if I get this thing on video, my God, that's it. So if you get it on video, 
like email me and tell me, but I don't want to see it. Is that weird? But like, I really don't want to know that there's something out there when I'm in the woods that can like. It shook me up. I was walking along and I'm like, I felt like that scene in one of the Twilight movies where she, the girl finds out that about the werewolves and then she's like, you know, werewolves are real. Vampires are real. Is everything, all the legends true? Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking now. Like, zombies out there what else is going to come walking into my house you know (laughs) i need to stop writing with these things they're they're developing developing an affinity for me or something like that and i'm attracting them you know so that's what i was gonna say whenever you said it looked like the uh triassic uh dragonfly i'm like maybe you just attract um paleo yeah, but, but it was 36 <laughs> degrees out or something you know no insect would be alive it was just it it was I don't know. I mean, it could have been an extraterrestrial role. I know. It's definitely creepy and weird. And I, you know, my first thought was little person, but um, because I've recently done shows over little people, but it's just uh, those don't have wings. And so I don't know what you saw, but when you figure it out, let me know. Um, Absolutely. One of my, one of the comments, have you looked at the Iroquois story of the flying face? So you Hmm. might write that down and look into that. Um, so I think um, I, I could talk to you probably for the rest of the night and uh, never get bored because you are a fascinating guest and very multifaceted. Um, I'm going to go ahead and end this interview and go finish your book because I'm over here dying to know what happens next so that I can get to the next book. I'm sorry, everybody listening. I'm being selfish. I really want to go finish that book. <laughs> but I'll look forward I, to your review on Amazon then. I will, I will leave a review. Um, but thank you so much for coming on tonight and thank you for all the work that you've done between that series of Kronos rising and, um, monsters and marine mysteries, as well as your other books. I really look forward to completing this series and then pre-ordering monsters and marine mysteries. And after I read monsters and marine mysteries, I would really love to have you back on to kind of discuss that more in depth, if that's okay. It's, it would be my privilege. Um, and what kind of cologne do I wear? Oh, gosh. Uh, un- un- <laughs> it's unforgivable. Unforgivable? <laughs> it is. I, I, I just now saw that, and I was just like, buffering, yeah. what? <laughs> um, okay, so thank you so much for coming on tonight. Hey, thank and, you for having me. Yes, and uh, you guys go look into the series that he offers as well as the book that's about to come out about cryptids, um, Monsters and Marine Mysteries, available for pre-order on Amazon. So thank you so much for coming on tonight. My pleasure. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Please drop a comment down below and don't forget to like and subscribe. I want to give a special shout out tonight to the affiliates of Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Go check out their various sites. Give them a listen and a like. Show them some love um, because they are all awesome. We've got Bigfoot Society podcast. Jeremiah is doing big things over there. You guys go check it out. He has people on um, all the time. So go check him out. We have Bipolar Teddy Bear Network. They are a paranormal show. And so they do, 
they do interviews um, with other podcast hosts. They've had me on as well as Hadley Thorne, but they just do a lot of paranormal related stuff that is really fascinating. They recently did one over Skinwalker Ranch that I am, I just started. So I have to listen to that and finish it up, but um, they're really great guys. Really. They have this great dynamic between all of them that makes for a really interesting show. Um, check out Bigfoot Crossroads, give them a like and subscribe. Matt Knapp is over there. He's about to bring Bigfoot Crossroads back in a whole new way um, that will still represent his awesome style that he does. Uh, on that note, Matt Knapp is my partner on Planet Fear. So don't forget to check out Planet Fear, give it a like and subscribe. He and I bring our decade long experience of podcast hosting into a new show on true crime and paranormal. We also bring cryptids into it a little bit because we just can't help ourselves. So go check us out. You'll really love it. And while you're at it, check out Weird Realities, which is a show that I produce but do not host. Um, Hadley Thorne and Gracie Ellison, they have just all the weird, all the weird stuff that they bring about in a very well-researched and intelligent way, along with their adorable Southern draws and humor. So you have to go check them out. It's it's a great show. I enjoy every episode that I listen to. A spinoff of that is Weird Inc. with James Irby that he joins Hadley and Gracie on. And they interview authors like Max Hawthorne and other authors that have done um, weird works. So go check them out. And don't forget to check out Bigfoot Club with Bob Dominguez and his co-hosts. Uh, they cover all things Bigfoot all the time. You guys go check it out. And if you're interested in becoming an affiliate like these guys, go to nightcallersproductions.com and you can read the affiliate affiliate info there. Um, thank you guys again for coming on tonight. I uh, really appreciate your support. I appreciate you guys being here tonight. Don't forget to go check out nightcallersproductions.com and look at my membership options where I have exclusive content just for members. So you get extra night terror segments, extra interviews like this, but um, private Zoom chats and stuff like that with the guest. So go sign up now. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to message me about them. I'm always responsive and happy to message you back. Um, but go check out the website for that. And I have merchandise. Don't know if you guys knew that. Looks kind of like this, except even more awesome. And I recently launched a brand new logo from Jonathan Dodd, who is amazing. And it is the Night Crawlers logo. So if you're a member of Night Crawlers Bigfoot Radio, if you're a listener, a fan, um, you are an official Night Crawlers member. So go check out the Night Crawlers logo because we know that Bigfoot doesn't just play hide and seek. They, they creep they hide and they crawl, right? They belly crawl. So this new logo represents that. Go check it out. And that's all I have for you guys this week. Stay safe, be kind, and I will see y'all next